Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. What is a beautiful day in New York City. PK is in Indianapolis. Kuharski's got it covered for us at the NFL Combine and plenty to hit all day long. Glad you're with us this afternoon. Titans head coach Mike Vrabel will join us. That will be in uh, the final hour of today's show. That'll be at 520 Eastern, 420 Central. Friend of the show, Sarah Walsh, will be joining Paul in 20 minutes, uh, plus Dan Dockich and much, much more. We're going to give you the sights and sounds from some of the quarterbacks and others who have talked with the media today. Chad, how you doing? Doing well, Hutton. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, yes, good afternoon. Big night last night. Lots of fun at the Barrett Sports Media welcome party that was sponsored uh, by Outkick 360. Had a lot of fun meeting a lot of uh, radio, TV people, sports media types uh, at that event. And you were right. It's uh, a balmy day for uh, early March in New York City outside the day. So uh, we're loving it. Uh, again, a big thanks to everyone here at Fox uh, who's been so hospitable and putting up with us in uh, Brian Kilmeade studio where we are today. So thanks to everyone. Including Kilmeade. Uh, yes. we, we'll leave it as we found it. That's, that's the rule. Hey, um, uh, shout out to everybody at 6th and Peabody for making the show happen today. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, our location there. Everyone here with Fox Nation and uh, everybody here on the, the 15th floor for being hospitable for us here. And Corey Taylor for making it happen. Boots on the ground in Indianapolis. That's where Koharski is. Paul? Hope you're doing well. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello from Indianapolis. I have no idea what the weather is like here. I walked <laughs> here uh, very early this morning, and uh, it's cold inside. They're trying to match the Super Bowl. Yesterday it was satisfactory, and today they cranked it up. Uh, you, you have been busy. We're going to hear from a number of different players that you have talked with, that media members have talked with, um, and, of course, we mentioned we're going to have Vrabel on the show. That'll be coming up in the final hour of today's program. Uh, but just kind of give us the, the sights and sounds overview of, of what you've seen across the convention center today. Well, the theme of last night at dinner was that um, Matt Carell would be at a podium at 8 a.m. So I uh, stayed true to that. Uh, others did not. Oh. Um, I think Malik Willis was a, uh, a big hit today. He talked um, a little bit about how he stays stress-free and how much he does not care about what people are saying about him and about the uh, quarterback class. He just doesn't pay attention to it. He, he, he kind of said, like, I, I don't watch TV and I don't listen to this stuff because I want to be happy. And, like, drew a straight line to that. Like, there's an easy way for me to be happy, and it's not by listening to this stuff people are saying about me. 
Um, Kenny Pickett was delayed and delayed and delayed to the point that uh, several of us with other obligations had had to leave. John Mechie, I thought, was the, uh, the media star of the early sessions. I'd put him slightly ahead of uh, uh, Malik Willis. Um, he's got a booming voice, uh, spoke very um, strongly, and uh, just had an answer for everything. A really spectacularly engaging guy. And uh, as, as I look at things from a Titans perspective, obviously being a Nashvilleian um, and, and following that team closely, I just kept thinking about Mechie, who I don't think lasts, and uh, his, his classmate, Jamison Williams, both guys with ACLs, right? Yep. And the Titans' propensity to draft injured players. They did it with Jeffrey Simmons, who's paid off in the long run but missed the first six games of his rookie year. They did it again with Caleb Farley last year, who came in with a back injury. And um, uh, if those wide receivers dangle into the middle of the uh, 20s, Titans have a need at wide receiver. And I think they have a need at wide receiver on day one. Uh, and both of those guys probably aren't ready uh, on day one. They're uh, certainly not ready on day one, um, and, and I could see the Titans waiting on them. They answered questions about that, and obviously uh, they're doing some rehab together, um, and, and those were among the bigger questions of the morning. couple headlines, and then we'll get to the discussion and the response that everyone's talking about nationally from John Robinson. That's in just a moment. Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime received contract extensions. Chad, you're a bit surprised that Kingsbury gets that extension. Yeah, I saw through 2027 20, for both those guys. And, uh, I mean, I look, I think they've been okay. They obviously got off to a great start this season and last season. But we have saw that playoff game, and we saw the issues with the offensive game plan from a guy who's supposed to be an offensive mastermind in Cliff Kingsbury. That's his side of the ball that was completely inept against the Rams in that playoff game. So I'm not pinning, you know, one game. Sure. Not saying one game should determine the fate of him as a head coach in the NFL, but um, I think it's a little preemptive, I guess, to go ahead and get him signed through 2027. I'm, so, I'm not sure it was warranted. So, Paul, he's, he's exactly 500. He's 24-24-1 in his three seasons as head coach of the Cardinals. Uh, we know ownership has said, hey, it took him some time to learn the NFL way of life instead of coaching in college. And he has improved his record as head coach of the Cardinals every year he's been there. That's also what Kyler Murray is, is seeking, and that's his reply whenever he says, that's why I also need a contract extension right now. Uh, but it's not like Kingsbury's been bad. But I think the way things have ended the last couple of seasons, you look at the extension and you go, wow, they, not only did they re-up him, I know he's going into the final year of his deal, not only did they extend this, they extended this for a couple of seasons. Well, uh, I'm not surprised. First off, you can't have a lame duck coach. So if he was going into the last year of his deal, this is the standard timetable, right? Yeah. Yes. And I also think smarter, smarter teams in the league are moving towards this idea of stability and that Cliff Kingsbury might not be perfect by any means. But if you look at most of the worst teams in the league, they're cycling through, cycling through, cycling through. The Giants have had a new coach every two years for how often now? They're all bad coaches. They need to make a better choice. Absolutely. 
But once you have your guy in place, and Cliff Kingsbury has been gradually better, once you have that guy in place, you are probably better off giving him time. And if he's got a good relationship with Steve Kime, which it appears they do, uh, and Kime has done a pretty good job with that roster, I think this is a good trend. Um, I, think it, I think jump on board with the idea of stability. Be the Ravens, be the Steelers. You don't have Harbaugh or Tomlin yet, but maybe your guy turns into Harbaugh uh, or, or Tomlin, and maybe the key to Harbaugh and Tomlin turning into Harbaugh and Tomlin was the fact that they worked for organizations that weren't breathing down their neck, looking over their shoulder where they had to worry, 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 that if they didn't win a few more games, they were going to get canned. Paul, we'll get your reaction to this in just a moment. Uh, Chad and I have, have certainly read and then watched John Robinson's response to a question about how he could be better. And we'll set this up by saying this is a general manager that wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, consider the setting as you watch and hear this across the Outkick Network. Robinson, uh, there uh, with the media. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to set it up a little bit, if I could, uh, as this is my video. So he had done his podium session, 15 minutes almost. And then, as is common, he did 10 minutes with the, with the beat people, with the Nashville people. And so we walked over, you guys know the setup here, over to uh, an area on the side. And we were going to do it standing up against uh, you know, a, 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 a ribbon that cordoned off a certain area. And he wanted to be more casual. He said, let's go up into these bleachers that are over near the bench press area. Mm -hmm. And then um, when he was asked this question, um, he, uh, by Chris Harris, I believe, uh, one of the newscasters in, in Nashville, he did say a few words be uh, before I got my phone rolling. And that's when he stopped for this pause that people will watch and hear now. So we were surrounding him like I was in the bleacher. He was above me. I was in the bleacher row uh, below him. And other cameras and recorders were around him on all sides. So here, here is Robinson where he is asked what he could do better. And he's, his response comes week after, weeks after that loss to Cincinnati. Here's Titans GM John Robinson. trust that ownership has put in me, our fans, and I mean that stadium was rocking now. And you can only imagine what it would have been like. The next one. So, pretty long list of stuff that I got to be better at. There's Robinson there. Chad, you and I were watching that, and we were, wow. I mean, but because of when you consider, you know, he's he knows he's going to be asked about the way the season ended and uh, how successful they've been but have not been able to bust down the door of reaching or winning a Super Bowl. And 
that that stuck with him. I mean, that this yeah. season you can tell is still you know riding John Robinson. Look, I was surprised when I saw it. It was a surprising moment from John Robinson. It's going to endear him to fans even more uh, because of that emotion and because how clear it's very personal for him with that loss in the playoffs and what could have been in a home AFC championship game. Uh, Paul, interested to get your uh, take on it. Y- you were there. Uh, how shocking of a moment was it being with you know the local media uh, when this happens? Because watching the video, I was I was surprised to see it. Well, I, I'm not in any way suggesting it's not real. Uh, it's six week, six weeks removed from the loss, a little over six weeks. He's gotten an extension in that time. He tends to get emotional. Um, almost any time ownership comes up. So it's an Amy Adams-Strunk-related thing. And we know this is a big, big deal for a guy who's from the state, uh, Union City, and, and not too, too far from Nashville. So if he was picking a team to have gotten a, a you know his dream job to be GM with, this would have been the team. Um, but I, I only want to be slightly cynical. Is there a way I can be slightly cynical? Sure, absolutely. Of, uh, entirely cynical? I'm not, I'm not being entirely cynical by any means. John Robinson knows that this plays well with, with the fan base. I think he knows that it plays well. Like nationally, this is getting picked up by a lot of people. This tweet and the other people who tweeted it, it's gotten picked up. I got NFL Network asked for permission to, to, to use it. Um, and a lot of people are saying, you want to see a guy who loves ball or, you know, you, here's an example of how much this means to people. And it is an example of, of, of those things, unquestionably. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm just a, a little cynical about it. Mike Vrabel was asked a similar question told that, uh, about Robinson's reaction, and he said, you know, uh, still stings. I hurt most, you know, having won some as a player myself and knowing what it feels like. I hurt most for the guys because they didn't get to experience it, and I know what they're they're missing out on. So uh, a different kind of reaction from Vrabel. Now I have no problem with Robinson's reaction. It was a little surprising that um, you guys know if you're in a press conference setting with say there were probably a dozen of us there. That silence—I don't know—was it six seconds, eight seconds? It Longer. feels like it was twenty seconds. seconds. It was it was a little over twenty seconds of silence. Was it twenty seconds? Yep. Okay. Well, when it's twenty seconds, it feels like forty seconds <laughs> or sixty seconds, and no, nobody's going to interrupt it, right? So you just let it breathe. It is a very, um, it, it is a very impactful silence. Very impactful silence. It, it, Paul, you're dead on. I mean, this plays best to fans, to Titans fans, not not just fans of football, but Titans right. fans specifically. Dead arrow to the heart. Yes, and we're seeing a lot of that uh, in the response. And I get it, and I understand. You know, you want you want the people in charge of winning and losing for your favorite team to care like you care as a fan. You don't ever want to feel like they're not taking it home with them if you're taking it home with you. And this was a very impactful loss to the Titans fan base, and it's carried on since that loss. So they love seeing John Robinson uh, carry that with him even now. I guess my surprise is just it was an odd setting with a group of local reporters 
that he sees a lot in Indianapolis, you know, a month removed from the loss with no real uh, personal implications, players getting injured in the game and out for a long time or, you know, things that have happened since then to cause the emotion. So I guess the fact that it's still so raw for him uh, a month later is what was a little bit jarring for me. And I have no problem with it at yeah. all in the emotion. And I, I get why fans love it. Uh, but that was what was jarring to see for me is that here we are at the Combine in Indy and you're in a local media gang up and you, you get emotional over talking about what you would change. Well, he also got emotional with us uh, while we were doing a live show in Kansas City the night before it was his birthday. It was the night before the AFC Championship game two years ago. And if, if he's that emotional in a public setting, think about what he's like behind the scenes and how pissed off he is that they've had a window of opportunity not just in the AFC Championship game, they follow that up by setting franchise records offensively, only to bow out in the postseason at home to the Baltimore Ravens. And then this year, home field advantage throughout, the number one seed despite all the injuries. And they get everybody back and fall to Cincy. And I I can't help but think that's a guy thinking about what should have been, and he's even answering it that way by saying, think about what the title would have been like, the AFC Championship game would have been like, we didn't deliver. And this is not the first season they haven't delivered in the postseason. And, Paul, the window of opportunity, while it remains open, this is a crucial month-and-a-half process coming up with free agency, with contract situations on their offensive line, and with the draft. They've got to get right. They've got to tweak this roster in order to get over the hump. Yeah, and we'll have a bit more later from him talking about, you know, the decisions he's got to make, how he's got to balance the decisions about that window with fiscal decisions, which we've talked about plenty about salary cap and deciding how much you can push into the future, uh, you know, maximizing your window but not necessarily sacrificing um, the future. Guys, it's funny, as you were talking, what I was picturing is kind of like – Chad, uh, almost an apocalyptic mu- uh, movie scenario, you know, not quite in like an empty airplane hangar that had been uh, you know, bombed out in some sci-fi movie, but like uh, still walking through an empty locker room, you know, some guys are back rehabbing and lifting and stuff, but generally, you know, the suddenness of an end of a season we talk about a lot. And six weeks later, you could still walk through that locker room and, you know, kick, kick an empty soda can and hear the echo of it when you felt like it shouldn't have been that long ago that it was still full, uh, fulfilling expectations when you came up that short of it. And he did say something else about, you know, some of those games were hard, hard to watch. Um, and, and we do talk about, like, players and, and – um, people in roles like John Robinson's and Mike Vrabel's um, do get over things faster than fans, generally speaking, because you have to move forward with the work at hand. And and Vrabel's job now, like Hutton is saying, uh, Robinson's, excuse me, Vrabel's too, is to get about the business of making sure it doesn't happen again and, and putting them in a better spot. So that's the most interesting element of this is that Rabel still has room in there somewhere to uh, mull, mull the pain of what didn't happen. And fans might think that's good. I, I don't know how good it is. I mean, you want that as a motivating factor, 
And I don't think he's, you know, sloughing off on the work of next season while he's lamenting um, what didn't happen. But I don't know if you want your GM having trouble sleeping at night six weeks after the loss either. I, I mean, whatever works for him. And, and again, Hutton, to reiterate this, it's not the loss. It's what was lost. Right. I think that caused And that's what stirs the emotions of Titans fans, too. It's well, two straight years of this. It's not losing to Cincinnati in a playoff game. It's the lost opportunity of hosting your first ever AFC championship game and watching Cincinnati go to Los Angeles and represent the AFC and in the lose Super Bowl. to a team that they dominated physically earlier in the year. And that's what I got from that emotion from John John Robinson. It's not oh we lost this football game and our season ended. Right. It's we lost the opportunity to play another home game in that environment and bring that to the city of Nashville. Coming up, we will hear from Traylon Burks of Arkansas and Paul sits down with Sarah. Sarah Walsh, NFL on Fox and NFL Network, friend of the show. Sarah Walsh with us next on Outkick 360. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, yes, sir. You know, there's there's some comparisons in that just by uh, body structure, uh, you know, how big we are, how fast we are. And, uh, yes, sir, I've uh, watched him along the way, along uh, my uh, college career, and, you know, there's a little bit of comparisons in that. Uh, I've watched a lot of Debo Samuel just by, um, you know, the way that he plays running back, plays inside, plays outside, multiplayer. Uh, person, athlete, and, um, you know, that's what I try to mimic my game after of. That's Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks, who's discussing being compared to A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans and how he hopes to be used in a similar fashion to Debo Samuel. That's good company. And Burks is one of those surprise stars from an Arkansas team, Chad, that we did not expect to be as good as they were last season. He is a player. Uh, that that's the best way to describe Traylon Burks. He's a guy who makes things happen. You know, there are a lot of good wide receiver uh, uh, prospects in this draft. There are few guys that go and make the big plays like Burks. Yeah. Same could be said about AJ Brown, who we're talking about. Debo Samuel, obviously, um, he's a guy who just got stuff done. Jawan Jennings, when he was at Tennessee, great example, was a similar type of guy. You know, third and eight, and he just finds a way to will his way to the football and make something happen uh, in big moments, that, that is Traylon Burks. I, I'm a big fan of his. And by the way, Paul brought this up. I'm a huge fan of Mechie or Jamison Williams for the Titans also with their history of drafting injured guys. Th- those are two injured guys I'd be okay with the Titans drafting if they were there that late in the first round. We will hear from Mechie a bit later in today's show. Mike Vrabel will join us as well. He'll join Paul and Indy. That will be at 520 Eastern, 420 Central. Hutton and Withrow with you here in New York. We send it back to Indianapolis where Paul is standing by with friend of the show from NFL Network, Sarah Walsh. Joined in Indianapolis at her first combine by NFL Network's Sarah Walsh and a longtime friend of the show, longtime friend of mine, the Washingtonian Bash in Nashville, one of the great <laughs> parties of all time when Sarah left television in Nashville to go to Washington and then she went on to 
ESPN and now NFL Network. Great things. How are you? Good. That was at Blue Bar. Does Blue Bar still exist? Blue Bar only recently closed down. Oh, that's sad. Where uh, where Teresa and I were the night that ultimately I was, she was anxious to be out because we hadn't been out in a long time, and I was anxious to get her home because I had plans to propose to her. Uh, we were at Blue Bar that night as well. Wow. Yeah. You have the, like the sultry mul- multiple pack of cigarettes. Have yeah. you taken up yeah, smoking? Yeah, I've just been taking uh, smoking heaters all week yeah. long. No, no, no. I, Indy's I, a good smoking I, town. I, I, I lost my voice at an event uh, in Tampa on Friday, and then I was like, well, this is going to be a problem because then you're going to the combine, and all you do is talk to people here and yes. take meetings, and then you're indoors where it's loud, not at the combine, but in post-combine activities in the evening. And so it's just, it's it's not great. You take it's meetings. Not. It's very fancy talk. I, I've never taken a meeting. What do you mean? I, you, oh, having a meeting right now with me. Oh, this is, I've, I've taken a meeting, boys. Yeah. I've made the big time. Uh, here's a Nashville fun fact. Last time my voice sounded like this, uh, I don't know if you remember this. This is in Nashville. I've lost my voice really badly in Nashville for a long time, and I ended up having vocal cord surgery in Nashville. My career could have been over then. I like, don't I remember. Had, was it a polyp? Yeah, it was like, uh, I ended up having ulcerated polyps, is what they call it. That's not good. Uh, Reese Witherspoon's father was my surgeon. Yeah, I just went to I went to an ENT, and like I guess a lot of singers have that. And so when I would be in like appointments, they're like, "So are you a singer?" I'm like, "Obviously." I mean, Obviously, no, like, not even singer close. and soccer player. Did you have to uh, then go on voice rest? Yeah, like and so I remember thinking like, so this is when we did the coaches show with Jeff Fisher, and I was like, I had surgery, and I'm like, I'm gonna be on the show the next night, and you can't like it's so unrealistic. And again, I also thought my world was gonna end if I missed like a coaches show, like my career was gonna be derailed. But um, turns out it was okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I couldn't talk, and it's really awkward not being able to talk. Like if you go into like a Walgreens, like you know, like the did you write cashier, on a board? yeah, like you're supposed to write on stuff. It's really hard to not talk. So anyway, my point is, is I hope I'm not heading down that path. So, um, but it, like it, it fixed. It and uh, and then I was fine and so hopefully this isn't that but that's a fun Nashville memory for me when I thought my whole career was over and I had vocal cord surgery. I buried another very important connection to the <laughs> show. Sarah has twins and she named one of them after Jonathan Hutton in a huge tribute. It so was yeah. Not Kaharski that, didn't have the yeah, same ring. Not the same ring. Hey, little girl Kaharski. And not that I'm anti Breeze, but uh, Hutton is our you know show mascot. Um, now, I don't remember which one's boy and which one's a girl. I know. It's confusing that way, yes. right? Hutton's a girl. Hutton's a girl. How is she doing? We we want to know all about her. She's great. Breeze is a boy. Um, so, Hutton's a girl. But um, actually, not to take anything away from your Jonathan Hutton, uh, she was named after the Hutton Hotel. Yeah, obviously. which is named after Jonathan Hutton. Yeah, obviously. And so, um, because that's where uh, her father and I like met for our first drink at the hotel bar there at Hutton's. But recently, I took the kids back to Nashville for uh, Halloween, because Halloween in Nashville is the best. And we took her to the Hutton Hotel, and she thought it was so cool. Like, That's everything awesome. had her name on it. And the Hutton, I told the Hutton Hotel people, like, the receptionist, I said, hey, do you have, like, a, like a pen that says Hutton or just something I can give her? This lady at the Hutton Hotel was like, let me see if I can do better. Came back, got her, like, a Hutton blank, like, made this whole, like, gift bag for her. So, anyway, we have a very special, like, fondness for the Hutton Hotel in Nashville. Okay, so you're of Tampa Bay, and the last two years you got to cover Tom Brady taking the Buccaneers to New Heights. And, uh, and delivering their second Super Bowl. What was that like as a person of the area to watch that team rise to prominence and to see the greatest player of all time conceivably do it? Uh, it was insane. It's, it's kind of crazy and surreal to even think that that happened. And, um, and it's a testament to the fact that I say this, and I've said it a couple times this week, you know, teams that are 
down on their luck. Or And the Bucks weren't down on their luck. I should rephrase that because they had a very good defense. But that's how quickly things can change in the NFL. I mean, this is a team in Tampa, uh, and I grew up there, and then even working at ESPN, like Tampa's just not a national market team, right? Like nobody talks about Tampa. Like they're not a glitzy team. They don't get a lot of attention. The entire time I was there, anytime I would be like, oh, we should do something on the Bucks, nobody cared. And okay, there is no other Brady out there, but like that is how quickly to think that, you know, all this time that I was there and you're covering this guy in New England, he's the greatest quarterback ever. I mean, never would I have thought that he's going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And overnight, the Bucks, because of Brady, are national prominence overnight. I mean, it's a brand. It's not, it's not even just the Buccaneers. I mean, obviously Brady is a brand in and of itself and it was crazy. And then to think, you know, they did have a really good defense and they felt like you know, if they just got a good quarterback, you could you could get there. But now you had COVID. He couldn't come in early. He couldn't work out. And then the city couldn't even roll him out. Like, they couldn't go, we've got Tom Brady. There was no presser. Like, there was no, there wasn't even a Zoom presser back then because COVID had just happened. And to think that it was going to end with confetti falling on their field in year one with a guy that didn't get a preseason, that didn't even get to meet, really, his teammates, um, it was crazy. And it was crazy even after the fact. Like, even like a month or two later, even the summer, when you fly into Tampa, you know the stadium's right there. You hit the runway, you see the stadium, and you'd see these huge signs outside the stadium that said Super Bowl champions. And it just was such a surreal year to think that they did exactly what they said they were going to do. I mean, it's crazy. So you guys, ESPN, everybody comes in, basically sets up shop at uh, at the Bucks headquarters for two years. Yep. That's going to be gone. They're, they're right back to nobody, really. I mean, they've got a legacy built, but... The Arians Wednesday press conference isn't going to have a crowd anymore. No, right? and you know what's so crazy about his press conference yesterday? The questions are still about Brady. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's nuts. I mean, Brady's gone, he's retired, and it's still, hey, but do you think you could get Brady? Could you get Brady to come back? I mean, the majority of the questions to him and the GM, Jason Light, were about Tom Brady still. And, like, what would it take? And, like, what if he wanted to come back and go to another team? So it's still that Brady effect. But you're right. I mean, that that's gone overnight like that that you're not national prominence unless they can turn around and and you know there's very few quarterback options out there right but they could be in the market they need to be in the market to do something there Um, but that's the only way I mean and you know this even in Nashville it takes like uh you know remember when Peyton was up and there was like I mean there was an insane buzz like could they get Peyton Manning um and and obviously his ties to that city and that would change just the the, the recognition and the prominence of that, it changes with these marquee quarterbacks. I believe we talk about this all the time. I think the Titans could have won the Super Bowl this year. There'd be big buzz here. There'd be big buzz during the offseason. There'd be big buzz on opening day. And then if they were 2-2, two and two, it would go back to absolute normal because they don't have the star. I mean, that, that's what that this, this is. But this league is like a star league, right? Yeah. I mean... Patrick Mahomes is there. It's a different story. Like yeah. it's just a different, and that, and I've seen it firsthand with Tom Brady, and he's obviously first and foremost the biggest example of that. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers is that, and like if he goes somewhere else besides Green Bay, like that that changes somewhere else, um, and that stuff can change overnight. Like it really can, uh, because I've seen it. What um, your husband mm-hmm. is in the big leagues as a coach. What is uh, labor lockout like? I'm sure you like having him home, but what's it like for him to monitor negotiations and try to figure out if and when he goes back to work? 
I think it's getting frustrating for him at this point because uh, they plan and plan and plan. And the other thing is that's difficult is, you know, these guys for spring training pitchers, and he's the bullpen coach there, but he's also the director of pitching, so he has to oversee. This is for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is for the Toronto Blue Jays. So he also oversees the entire, uh, all the minor league pitchers as well. Well, their season is still on. So he's in a little bit of a different role because there's big league coaches right now that are not doing anything. In the set. I mean, obviously they plan and they meet, but they're waiting for their guys to arrive and they're not allowed to arrive right now because they're locked out. Uh, my husband's still dealing with all the minor league pitchers, but you know, even the big league pictures, they ha- try to get these guys on programs and they build up and like are ready, you know, to a certain extent for, you know, they have to, they have to be built up for these innings and stuff. And now if you don't know when this is going to start, like that's going to get old now, granted, like there could be news today. Right. And, and it changes and okay, they're not far off track. But, like, if this goes a month or two, these guys that are built up for the season, the not knowing when a season's going to start. And, you know, we have this debate in, in our household. I'm like, there is no scenario the NFL, though, would ever be like, hey, we're going to miss the first two weeks. I mean, the country would go berserk, right? Like, and baseball, like, it's it's not great, right? I mean, no. but, it, but football, like, even in COVID times, like, they were going to play these football games, right? Like, we didn't miss games in the NFL. And in baseball, like, it's just, I think it's unfortunate. And I think it's clearly guys that are regimented and used to schedules not having any idea when this is going to start is a weird place to be sucks uh for for somebody that wants to see his team play on a regular basis and just like they hurt themselves worse by extending it out it doesn't make sense and i don't think the deadline makes sense i mean he could stretch all these pitchers could stretch themselves out without spring training games to still have a two-week spring training and start don't you think yeah, but but at this point, it's like there's been talk like, what if they don't start till June, which would be right. such a – and I guess what I don't get, and I'm not a negotiator, and I don't even pretend to dive deep into baseball, even though it affects my family because I just am so in the football world. But what's nuts to me is this idea that there was a deadline um, yesterday – you had you had an off there's an off season yeah. there's an actual off season i never understand this like why is this all not negotiate you know how negotiations work they do nothing 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 and then it comes deadline. down to like 3 days and then we start doing it. like why didn't you do that in november december january yeah. i don't get thanksgiving that. and christmas were great in all those households apparently. yeah but like i just i just don't get it like why are you just backing stuff up like and and it'll get done eventually but like why can't you get it done why couldn't your deadline have been like february 1st I don't know. You are perhaps the biggest fan of Primary Complaint, mm-hmm. which our show from its incarnation on terrestrial radio was our biggest segment and an absolute staple. You, I asked you to bring me one, but apparently you want to revisit an old one? Yeah, I want to revisit First of all, I love Primary Complaint, as you know, because I have so many. Uh, so that's sad that I'm going to revisit an old one, but it's one. Today that, is Primary Complaint Day. It's uh, Wednesday. It makes me so happy. Uh, so this Primary Complaint is an old one, but I see it all the time, especially getting on planes. Do you know what I'm going to say? Mm. I did it. Well, you don't remember my primary complaints. I'm I, sure I, I, yeah, listen, it's <laughs> well, been you complain 10 about years a lot. So, yeah. yeah, like you got. No, I get really, really frustrated on planes when you get up to get off the plane. Let's say I'm in aisle 10. Oh, I know where you're going. Yeah. And the guy in aisle 14 thinks that he should get up and oh, get off before you. Like, I who do you these think? People. Who do you think? You, now, I'm not talking about the person that's going to miss a connection. Oh, no, uh, that person. And by go. the way, and I hate this, though. I hate when the flight attendants go, hey, um, three people on this plane might miss a flight. So if you could just stay seated until they get off the plane. No, you need to te- tell people to stay seated and be like, it's this person in t- seat 20. Let them get off. Because if you just say it, no one's going to courtesy do it. They don't do it. I would do it. I, like, I have no problem sitting there and letting this person make their connection. That's not who I'm talking 
talking about. I'm talking about random Joe in seat 14. Like, why does he think he has every right to just go in front? Like, where are you going? Yeah, I say that's not how it works, Chief. First plane ride? Yeah, you, you confront I, him, I right? I do that all the time. First plane ride? And he goes, no, why? And I go, because that's not how it works. We all just kind of sit. You can stand if you have the aisle. That's your space. And then we all just kind of leave orderly. And if you got up four people, it wouldn't make a difference in your life it, how fast you get off. The no, plane. but isn't it? Does, and most is there people not rally some... behind me on this one, as opposed to most of my companions. most of your life. Yeah, I. But isn't it so rude? Yes. Like, it's who ridiculous. do you think you are? There's no space up there. There's, no, There's nowhere you're not to go. Going anywhere. And then they're standing like in your way to get up because they're just then they're just like standing they're over you. They're in your face. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason for it. It's ridiculous. Your first combine. What do you make of this nonsense? Uh, it's a lot. So I, I don't know how people do it. Like that have set up camp from Sunday to Sunday. It's just a lot. It's, it's a lot of meetings and talking. And you're always on. And uh, I I love it. I love it. I don't think I could do it for seven days. And we haven't even gotten to the like real combine. Did you go to Prime Forty Seven? Yeah, I did last night. Yeah, how it, packed was it? Real packed. Yeah, real packed. Was it worth it? Uh, yeah, it was a good time. There you it was go. A good time. Are you moving back to Nashville ever? Yeah, it's you've been telling me that since you left Nashville. No, I know, but then Tom Brady signed with the Bucks. I mean, there was this guy Tom Brady, and he kind of held me up a little bit. Uh, and honestly, I thought he was going to play till he was fifty, so I thought I was never coming back. But I, I think I'm coming back to Nashville. Not, I think I'm coming back. I'll be back. I will be a Nashville resident again this summer. Breaking news. On uh, Outkick 360, Sarah Walsh is coming back to Nashville. We'll have a Washington bash, maybe at uh, Old Smokey, and, uh, and, and and it'll be a huge event. You know, we broadcast from a giant distillery and brewery, Yeehaw Beer. So we'll That is Paul Koharski with Sarah Walsh. We will uh, certainly invite her to 6th and Peabody whenever uh, she moves back to Nashville. She's a fan of Primary Complaint. So are we. Yes. Primary complaint is next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We roll on from New York, PKs in Indianapolis, and our entire crew at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine making it happen for us in Nashville. And every Wednesday at this time, no matter where we are, primary complaint. And guys, I'm kicking off primary complaint today. Um, and it's an, a similar theme that Chad will have, but Chad has the best complaint of the week, and I don't even know where Paul's going to take this. My primary complaint this week is with carry-on luggage, specifically with Delta. Delta, uh, we did not have a full flight, and the overhead bin on the plane that we took to, to, to New York, uh, smaller than your average flight that you would take on you know, Southwest or wherever it might be. Um, so I had a carry-on bag with me and made it through security, no issues. Normal size bag that fits in the bin if you're going to test to see if your bag fits in the overhead compartment. And as I walk up to the gate, I'm told that my, my carry-on luggage will not fit in the overhead compartment of said flight because, you know, uh, they only guarantee overhead space for first class and business class. Uh, that's fine. But then I board the plane... 
and there's like 20 people on the flight. So why make me check a bag at the gate if there's going to be plenty of space? And you know that ahead of time as you're looking at the manifest for the flight. That's my primary complaint. And then we had to wait way too long for it when we landed yes. at JFK also. They yep. said it was going to be right there. Uh, it was not. My primary complaint this week, and I'll say it up front, this story does not make me look that smart either. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to say it and tell it anyways. So there's been some construction at Nashville International Airport recently. There's new gates. There's a lot of things going on. We are about to board our flight. And because the woman with Delta is wearing a mask, I can't hear people in a mask because I've now found out that I have hearing problems and I like to read lips, apparently. <laughs> I think she says our gate is D3. D as in David, D3. Our gate is B3, okay? <laughs> so know that I have that knowledge as I go through security. Uh, I'm not TSA pre-check like Hutton, so I'm back in steerage with everyone else <laughs> going through the security line. Takes me a while to get through. Get in there. I have just enough time to go to Chick-fil-A, get myself a chicken biscuit and a coffee, and go to the gate. Get my chicken biscuit and my coffee. Start to walk to D3, the D3 gate. I see a sign pointing towards D to the left. I start to walk. There's a security guard there, and it's got that thing that says no re-entry beyond this point. That's an immediate danger flag for me. <laughs> so I go up to the guy and I say, I I'm looking for D3. And he says, D is this way. Just go that way and go to the left. I'm, I'm saying this way to D3. Clearly, I've got a backpack on. I've got my Chick-fil-A. I'm not leaving the airport if I'm looking for D3. I'm in through security at this point. He sends me on my way. I walk out, look to the left, and I see the ticketing agents. And I'm thinking, this is not good. I'm now back outside of security. I go back, and he says, no, you've got to walk outside and go to the right to go to D3. And then I look up, and I see B behind him. And I said, I think I was supposed to go to B, maybe. Can I go right there? <laughs> of course I can't because of TSA rules. He says, no, 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 you've got to go all the way back through security. I tell him, I may not make my flight because you told me to go this way for D3. Can I walk right back here? You just saw me. I went through security. No way in hell that's going to happen. Sends me back on my way. I rush through security. I get there in time. Fine. You have to ditch your food. I had to toss my Chick-fil-A. No way to take that back through security. Didn't get to eat that. And then go back through security. Here's the primary complaint. Just be more helpful. Like Understand the situation if you're a paid worker somewhere. And be a little bit more helpful than that security guard at BNA. That is my primary complaint. Excellent. Paul, take it away in Indy. B, B as in boy, D as in dog. I look forward to getting more into the hearing plight. Uh, my primary complaint is for uh, EPL players, English Premier League. You guys would hate this. They show the backups on the bench. You know, the bench is kind of a couple rows. It's, it's kind of like the first couple rows of the crowd. There's a cutout, and you can sit there. And these guys are usually bundled up. It's cold in England right now. So they've got, you know, maybe a long sleeve shirt that they'll wear under their uniform, and they've got a puffy jacket. And when it comes time that they're called on, it shows them, you know, starting to limber up and everything. But when they take off the jacket, they do not have their jersey on. I don't understand why you wouldn't have your jersey on. There's a ceremony of them putting their jersey on as part of the warm-up. Wouldn't you want to get to the sideline as quickly as possible, so to get into the game as quickly as possible? 
Are they allergic to the material or something if it's dry and they haven't started sweating on it? I've yet to get to the bottom of this, but my investigation is going to continue. I don't understand why EPL players wouldn't just put on their uniform and then put on the coat or whatever on top of it. Then you can jog around everything, take it off like Superman, and boom, you're in uniform. It makes sense to me. I don't have a great answer for why you wouldn't already have yeah, it ready to go. That's very odd. Very, very odd. Almost as odd Too as simple. the guy directing me out of the airport uh, yesterday when I was asking for assistance. Yeah, you, so, you so knew. You Paul, knew there was no way you were getting back and in. I, I, Paul, it was the realization when I looked he over and me. saw the ticketing agent, and I called Hunt, and I said, he's not going to let me back. And I started to walk towards him and said, you're going to sound the alarm. And sure enough, I took one step, and the alarm goes off <laughs> in the whole airport because I'm trying to get back in through that area after I walked out. Uh, it was very, very frustrating. He called me, Paul, and he was like, hey, I've got to go through security again. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm again, like, why? I, I applied for TSA pre-check. I got approved yesterday after getting here to New York. <laughs> so I'm not TSA pre-check again. Thank God that there was no line at security when I went back through. It was very quick. Coming security. up, uh, Dan Dockich is going to join us. This is in about 25 minutes. He chatted uh, with Indianapolis Colts general manager Chris Ballard one-on-one, and I can't wait to ask him about how that went um, and the direction that the Colts are headed. We'll get what uh, Dockage's uh, per- uh, perception of the Colts' perspective on the SEC upcoming tournament and the top teams there. And when we come back, hear from some of the top stars that are making the rounds at the NFL Combine, including Malik Willis. You'll hear from him and much more next as our number two kicks off from New York and Indy. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.